you love free. And at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Democratic U.S. Senator Raphael Warnock and his Republican challenger Herschel Walker are racing toward Tuesday's finish line for their four-week runoff. He was an incredible running back. And we intend to send him running back to Texas. And I'm sick and tired of this pronoun stuff. And all of a sudden, I decided we're going to give him a pronoun. His pronoun is going to be former senator. The shortened runoff has led to new single-day early voting records. Tonight, we have some new numbers just in from the Georgia election officials who say more than 300,000 Georgians cast their votes today. Now, that blew up the previous record. And this week also brings new controversies. Did he break the law when he registered to vote and run here? despite claiming another state as his primary residence? Does he intend to live permanently in Georgia or not? And above all, why on earth is Herschel Walker running to represent Georgia if he doesn't even consider it home? Will the latest controversies move the needle in either direction? What will the very different campaign approaches mean for the final vote? Who is showing up to vote in the runoff? And what does it mean for who holds this U.S. Senate seat for the next six years? I'm Sam Greenglass, politics reporter at WABE. I'm Susanna Capaluto, politics editor at WABE. I'm Emma Hurt of Axios Atlanta. And I'm Raul Bally, also a politics reporter at WABE. And this is Georgia Votes 2022, a campaign podcast from WABE. I vote because it's a privilege. I vote because I want to make an impact. I vote because I want leaders who care about voting my future. Voting is the gift of so freedom. So voting matters to me because I believe there is value in my voice. Hey, y'all, let's start with stories from the campaign trail. Herschel Walker did not campaign much over the weekend, but had a few stops this week, and he's still not talking to any of you. What's it like covering his runoff campaign? Yeah, I mean, as we've talked about, Herschel Walker hasn't taken questions from pretty much any reporters besides on Fox News since October 6th, I believe, is our current estimation. And even this week, actually, I was told that now journalists can't get within about 20 feet of him after campaign events when, you know, he takes photos with everyone. There's a long line. I went up to try to interview a voter in that line and was told, sorry, you can't be here. And I was like, you mean I can't interview the voter? And she said, no, 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 you you can only talk to him over here behind this imaginary 20-foot line. And honestly, it seems very much to be a response to the fact that journalists have increasingly been shouting questions at Walker after events because it's the only opportunity we have to ask questions because he's not taking them in any formal capacity. And the one thing to note here is that if you're a senator for six years, you're going to take a lot of questions from reporters and you're going to get hounded all day, every day on Capitol Hill by reporters, too. So it's it's a bit of an odd strategy given the job that Herschel Walker wants. But it's obviously one that his campaign has decided makes the most sense right now. So on Wednesday, Emma and I were both with Walker at a campaign stop up in Dalton. This is the carpet capital of the world. 
It was in a small uh, rec center, and there's, you know, a, a decent lunchtime size crowd there to see Walker. And Walker strategists have wanted his message to be really focused on President Biden and Democrats in Washington, talking about inflation, talking about the border, talking about crime. But as we've covered Walker over these last couple of weeks, you know, we've both seen his message on the stump really veer from that, you know, talking about trans kids in sports, as Emma's going to talk more about in a moment, talking about totally random things that don't have anything to do with policy or politics. So when we hear surrogates for Walker on the stump, they're often fellow Republicans serving in the U.S. Senate. And on Wednesday, we heard from Ralph Reed, the Georgia evangelical leader who has been active in Republican politics for a really long time. And some of these guys are able to more artfully make the argument that strategists would like to see Walker himself making on the trail about his candidacy and why having a Republican in the Senate seat matters, despite the fact that Democrats already have the votes to control the U.S. Senate. Here's a little of what Ralph Reed said. It means they can't issue subpoenas and engage in kangaroo court investigations. It means they can't appoint radical liberals to the courts. But if we were to come up short here, every one of those committees goes to 1110 or 119. Every one of them, and they can ram through anything they want. It's interesting because the surrogates on the trail with him, including, you know, Ginger Howard, RNC committee chairwoman in Georgia, are really on message. They're really talking about economics, talking about the importance of the seat. And, and giving the message that many strategists would say what Walker should do. Like, this is how Brian Kemp won, talking solely about economics. We know that wins. Why aren't we doing that? But as Sam alluded to, Herschel Walker's campaign stump speech hasn't changed much in the last couple months. And it does range broadly. And it gets into some culture war issues, too. Like, he's really upped his rhetoric on anti-transgender athlete sort of, quote, men in women's sports and blaming this on Democrats. He cut a new ad about it in the runoff. And the reason why is that his campaign sees the same numbers that Brian Kemp saw six months ago that this does pull well in a general election electorate. And it's one of these weird issues that they think might activate both a Republican base and sort of suburban parent types in the middle but again, it leaves many outside the campaign kind of scratching their heads. Like, why are you talking about this when the message that, that worked for Brian Kemp is, is right there in front of you? And this divide of the messaging on the campaign trail is even more stark when you put it next to what Senator Warnock is doing on the campaign trail. Senator Warnock is talking about, you know, working with Ted Cruz on I-14, working with Senator Rubio on a different issue, even at a campaign stop at Georgia Tech, saying, you know, reach out to your Republican friends as somebody who can work across the aisle. And that's in stark contrast to, you know, what Emma's talking about, you know, also hearing Herschel Walker talk about late-term abortion, and then just red meat, you know, kind of conservative um, talking points on pro-law enforcement, pro-military, that divide is just, it, it, it's even bigger when you put the two candidates next to each other. Yeah, and now this runoff time is shorter than the one we had after the 2020 election, but it's just as intense, it seems, with celebrity visits. There are door knockers, lots of people on the ground, it seems. And you've been to some of these uh, events with celebrities. Do they move the needle? 
So on Monday, I went to Warnock's rally with Dave Matthews at the Coca-Cola Roxy. And this is the line from Warnock that really stuck out to me. Because I'm a preacher, I know when I'm preaching to the choir. I didn't come out here to convince all of you to vote. I know you're going to vote. I came to convince you to convince somebody else to vote. So yeah, people who were showing up to this rally probably already had their voting plans or had even already cast their ballots. But there were a lot of suburban parents in this crowd who were just absolutely thrilled to see Dave Matthews and were definitely going to post photos of this Warnock rally to their Facebook page. So you can see a world in which events like this do help get out the vote. Yeah, I mean, at this stage, it's like anything that gets anyone's attention in a short four-week runoff that a campaign has the money to pay for and can organize is worth it. And I know that Sam and I, since Dave Matthews is not really our generation, we're surprised at how many people show up to that concert. But a lot of people did because apparently a lot of people really like Dave Matthews. No, no hate, you know, I respect your choices. But... At the same time, we saw pre- former President Obama come last night with Lloyd, the R&B artist. And so Warnock's campaign in particular seems to be kind of going this concert fun route just to get any extra eyeballs on it. Meanwhile, Herschel Walker, as we've said, his celebrities have included more senators from other parts of the country, Mike Pompeo, Mike Huckabee, kind of national Republicans. I mean, this might be a bit of an aside, but Emma, in a world where, you know, President Biden is right now the leader of the Democratic Party. But on the Republican side, there isn't necessarily a clear leader as there's fights over whether former President Trump should assume that mantle. And over the course of this campaign, we have seen basically every Republican with presidential aspirations come through this state to campaign for Walker or for Kemp. And uh, that's been a little bit different than what we've seen on the Democratic side, where basically Obama has been the only national party Democrat to prominently campaign in Georgia for Warnock. He's avoided other politicians on the trail for the most part. And speaking about Obama, now Michelle Obama, who sort of stayed out of this election during the general, uh, has sort of gotten into this runoff because she has actually recorded a robocall. He's proven he can get things done. Early voting has already begun, and there's no reason to wait until Election Day. Go to www.warnock.vote to learn more. I hope you'll join me in supporting Raphael Warnock. Paid for by Warnock for Georgia. I had to smile at the way she says Raphael Warnock. It's like the European pronunciation instead of the southern one of Raphael Warnock. So, Emma, I remember how you sent a memo around in 2020 when he first ran about how to pronounce his first name. Now, what pronunciation (laughs) does Barack Obama use? Do you all know? He gets it wrong, too. It's interesting. Maybe (laughs) we should forward that memo to them, Emma. (laughs) I know. I try to spread the gospel wherever I can. Once you hear someone say it wrong, it gets in your head, and then you're like, wait, am I right? Am I getting it wrong? I guess when you cover it for so long, you, you, we, we just always get it right now. But it's, it's, it's sort of interesting. You know, still, you know, that this whole conversation about, about who's coming to Georgia, it is still so intriguing to me that in the end, former President Trump and current President Biden uh, have not come to Georgia for this, for this big race. That, this is so intriguing to me. Yeah, I think it's a really important point, Raul. The, the Trump campaign, as we know this week, we basically got confirmation they're not coming. He's going to do a tele-rally. 
and former President Biden has certainly stayed far away from this race. It's just evidence of what the campaigns think about these two politicians and the damage that they might do by tying themselves closer to them in any way. So this week, in these last few days of the campaign, there have been a few new controversies to bubble up. There have been additional allegations of threats of domestic violence made against Walker from an ex-girlfriend in a report in the Daily Beast. There was an open letter from 10 Georgia rabbis to Walker asking him to condemn uh, former President Trump's meeting with a white supremacist and Holocaust denier at Mar-a-Lago. There has also been a complaint to the state election board about Walker's residency. And Susanna, you've been digging into that story in particular. Can you just get us up to speed on exactly what's going on there? Yes. So what happened? CNN first found out that Herschel Walker has claimed homestead exemption on his Texas property in 2021 and 2022. And that's also when he registered to vote in Georgia and when he voted here. So then a woman filed an official complaint with the attorney general's office. By law, they have to have this election fraud hotline. So she complained on the hotline and the attorney general can't really do anything with the info. But they forwarded that to the state elections board. Now, the board chair, Judge Duffy, said that he has opened a complaint after receiving the hotline tip. Um, Now, what's next is that there isn't going to be an investigation. I'm assuming it'll be the Secretary of State's office investigators who will look into this complaint. And then at a board meeting, they have to schedule this complaint The next board meeting is on December 13th, but Judge Duffy told me that that agenda is already set. So this Walker case could come before a full board um, maybe next year sometime. Their schedule is kind of, um, I don't know how regularly they meet. So this will not be resolved, bottom line, before the election. But so, Susanna, I mean, if Walker wins, is there a way that he could be unseated because of this? Well, we've looked into that and it it seems like they missed the window to challenge his qualification when he qualified as a candidate. That's when they should have brought up maybe the residency, but they didn't know about the homestead exemption. So it's unlikely that if he gets elected, this would really affect him in office. Now, he does need to be, though, a resident of Georgia and he can still become one. Well, let's take a break. You're listening to Georgia Votes 2022 Runoff Edition. I'm Susanna Capaluto. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. Welcome back to Georgia Votes 2022, today with Emma, Sam, and Raul. So which one of you has already voted, and what was your experience? I voted earlier this week, and it was a little bit of a journey because I got first got a tip from a friend that my closest early voting place had really long line. And so an hour or so later, I drove by, sure enough, still a long line. And so I pulled up the handy dandy uh, map of early voting wait times that DeKalb County has that a lot of metro counties have actually um, updating in real time what the polling place situations are like. And I saw there was one without a wait 
about 10 minute drive away, headed over there, was in and out in five minutes. So I do recommend that you check to make sure whether your county has that map updated before you go. Yeah, I mean, Emma, I think the tracker is key. I'm going to go vote right after we finish this podcast taping. And I've had the live weight tracker for Fulton County up on my computer uh, because my neighborhood early vote center, kind of like yours, has some of the longer lines in Fulton County. So I'm going to potentially choose a spot that is farther from my house, but with a quicker time. And, you know, I can really see, having looked at the wait times over the course of this week, how this might make it hard for someone who's taking care of kids or older parents or with a job that has inflexible hours to squeeze in, you know, 120 minutes to wait in line. And Sam brings up a great point because that's what we're kind of seeing in our family. So I voted early Sunday morning in Dunwoody, which is in the northern suburbs of Atlanta. And I I set a timer. I was in and out from my car in nine minutes and 36 seconds. So, but you know, you know, Sam kind of hinted at it. My wife is an example. She did not want to vote on Thanksgiving Day weekend. She's politically active, but she was just like, I want to spend time with family every, you know, her brother was in town, want to spend every moment. Now she's struggling to find a day that works this week. And she's probably going to end up either in a line on Friday or in a line on uh, election day. I want to advise your wife to wait till election day because I voted on election day in the general. And because so many people had voted early, there was just no line whatsoever. And I will again vote on election day because there's not going to be a line because, you know, there's so many polling places. I don't know why people feel. I mean, I understand if you really don't have time, but there is just hardly any wait times these days on Election Day. And hopefully this will be the case again. I don't know, Susanna. I want to I want to say that I'm not sure if we know that for sure this time, though, because there's only one week of early voting now versus three weeks last time. So I feel like that's a big difference and, and no one really knows what Election Day will look like. Oh, no, Emma, don't freak me out now. Okay. (laughs) I feel like I need to say that. I was so hopeful. I think Emma's absolutely on point because there are going to be so many voters who had not voted yet, who did vote in early voting back in the November election. So I think Tuesday is much more of a wild card than what uh, our November elections look like. I'm just really curious, and I know I asked you all this question about the design of this runoff in the election law and why they decided to go just four weeks with one week early voting and what they're seeing now and what repercussions this may have on legislation in the future. But we'll get to that in a little bit. Now, we've been watching the breakdown of who is voting where and how long lines are. What, if anything, do you see in the data we already have? Well, one thing that I want to point out as we cover these daily early vote records pretty much every day this week of early voting is that this is not just a sign of voters enthusiasm to get back to the polls and vote in this runoff. It is also a result of this condensed timeline that we've all just been talking about with fewer early voting days and a tight absentee ballot window. So that has meant that lots of people are voting basically all at once and is resulting in some of these lines in some places. For example, I talked earlier this week to Brigitte Peck and her daughter Sophie, who waited two hours to vote on Saturday. Sophie attends college in Ohio. She had requested an absentee ballot, but her mom says it hadn't arrived by the time Sophie was getting ready to go back to school. So instead of casting that absentee ballot, they lined up to vote early in person along with a whole bunch of other people. 
there were college students all around us. There was a sophomore from Michigan who was in front of us with his parents, and there was a senior from Virginia Tech who was behind us with his dad. All of those students saying that they were there because this was the only way they were going to get to vote. Also, at least 40,000 voters who did not vote in November have already headed to the polls in this runoff. The largest group of them are between the ages of 18 to 29. But I was texting with a staffer at the ACLU this week who estimated that even if Georgia broke daily early vote records every day this week during early voting, the total early votes would still pale in comparison to the early vote total back in the 2021 runoff. So yeah, there is enthusiasm. There are people getting to the polls who didn't in November, but the total early vote number is still probably likely to be smaller than in 2021. Yeah, and I mean, just for context, nearly 4 million people voted in November, and we've just seen, we've just hit the over a million mark in Georgia, and there's only, you know, two days left to vote. So it's it yes to Sam's point. There's there's high turnout daily, but in context, it's still likely to be less than the general end 2021. Now, Emma, you have done some reporting on this idea that we should do away with these expensive runoffs, or that they that they are, that people are actually talking about it. So, what did you find? Yeah, I mean, there is a movement to try to replace these runoffs with an instant runoff system. It's a, It's got some bipartisan traction at the state capitol, but so far no big championing from leadership. We'll see if this changes things because I do think this is getting exhausting for people. Just watching the dollar signs go up of how much money is spent on these runoffs is kind of sickening for everyone, <laughs> but no party is going to back down, obviously, and, and spend less. And the way that an instant runoff works is that you cast one ballot in November and you rank your choices. So if your first preference was, say, the Libertarian, you would then say, well, maybe your second choice is Raphael Warnock, third choice, Herschel Walker. And if nobody gets 50% in November, these ballots are then retabulated, taking into account the second choice preference, and then a winner is decided that way. You don't have to show back up to the polls. And some argue that it also helps make the rhetoric less antagonistic because you're campaigning in you're like, well, you may not like me for your first choice, but please maybe vote for me second choice. And that's another theory behind the case. We'll see if if that really comes to bear in the new year. But I have certainly talked to state representatives and people in politics who are like, give me a way out of these runoffs and sign me up. There would be a lot of voter education that would have to happen to make this possible. We do know that it's already kind of in existence for military and overseas voters. There is a ranked choice ballot that went out in November. So we've kind of dipped our toe in that way that gives some advocates hope that this might be a real avenue for change. Could we just do away with runoffs too? Because we're only one of, what, two states that still do them? We're the only ones that do them in this way. Louisiana has a different general election runoff structure that's like a jungle. So it's a jungle election in November, and then the runoff ends up being between the Republican and the Democrats. So it's not really the same. But I think, I don't know, like the idea of getting rid of the runoffs seems, in talking to people, to be a little bit too much for people to swallow because it's become something we're accustomed to. And people are worried about the idea that someone would get elected with, you know, a much lower percentage of the vote. 
And, and this instant runoff is kind of a way to, to keep that spirit of majority rule without all the money <laughs> being spent and some would say wasted by political parties and honestly the state and county officials that have to run these things. When we talk about why the runoff was condensed to four weeks from nine weeks for federal races like the Senate race, it is notable that the reason why is to match it to state level runoffs. So statewide governor, lieutenant governor, constitutional officer runoff schedule was already at four weeks. In 2018, Brad Raffensperger was in a runoff with John Barrow in early December. And so people, I think, forget that at times, but that's part of why they compressed this runoff from nine weeks to four weeks. Now with just days left before the election and the end of the 2022 voting cycle, what will y'all be looking for? A break. We have no more thoughts. We've thought all of our thoughts. <laughs> I am going to be intrigued on who both of these candidates will be campaigning with and to in these last few days. You know, it's been interesting to see Senator Warnock doing even more campaign stops on college campuses. We also know that there's going to be an event aimed at Asian American voters with Senator Warnock. I'm all going to be watching where, uh, you know, Herschel Walker will be campaigning. So that's really the last things that I'm keeping an eye on is where and who these two candidates are campaigning for and with. I'm also going to watch out to see if uh, Alvin the Beagle makes a reappearance on the Warnock campaign trail. The puppy dog from the ads did appear at the Dave Matthews Band concert. Wasn't really thrilled to be there, I would say, Sam, is fair to say. Kind of <laughs> powered, power walked his way back off the stage as soon as possible. So I don't know if it's really his scene. Please welcome Warnock for Georgia Canine Volunteer, Alvin the Beagle, and Reverend Raphael Warnock. I was sitting next to Emma during this, and I think I told her that I was a lot more thrilled to see Alvin the Beagle than Dave Matthews, who is the biggest celebrity. I think it's Alvin. And as the owner of a Beagle, his behavior on stage does not surprise me one bit. He looked around at that crowd and hightailed his tushy <laughs> off that stage. Once again, sorry to the Dave Matthews fans in the room. And just for balance, we should also note that Herschel Walker has a very cute golden retriever named Cheerio that he often tweets about on social media. And so I do want to wrap up then with one important point so we can look ahead to the 2024 election cycle. And that oh, is... Oh, no. Let's not... <laughs> no. All right. That's it for this edition of Georgia Votes 2022. Sam and Raul, thank you for your time. Georgia Votes is a production of the WABE Politics Desk. Kevin Rinker is our producer. You can email us at georgiavotes at wabe.org. I'm Susanna Capaluto. We'll see you next week for our very last episode of... Georgia Votes 2022, where Raul may be looking forward to 2024. Local, state, national politics. WABE and NPR have the coverage you need. I'm Jim Burris, host of WABE's All Things Considered. Whether it's on the air at 90.1, streaming online, or connecting through our mobile app, WABE keeps you on top of election 2024 in what's sure to be a pivotal year in politics. And for candidates and ballot information, visit our election hub at wabe.org election 2024.
The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.